Welcome back to another episode of Triple Play. This is official episode number three. Russ is mysteriously away today. Not on, on the IL. Against. Yeah, he's on he's on IL. I think the 10-day IL, um, not the long one. So we should see him soon. So this is Scotty. We got Cruiser and Dietz, man. Everybody is still sticking around. Uh, we've got a little NFL kickoff for you. Some baseball playoff discussion. And maybe, just maybe... I've got some ranting to do, but before we oh get to boy. that, gentlemen, how goes it? Goes well, Scotty. It's good to hear from you guys again, and it's a little, a little strange without Russ starting off this show like he's done for for so long. Maybe, uh, maybe we ought to have some practice to be ready to do this. I think Scott, I think Scott did such a good job <laughs> that Russ's Russ's job is under threat. You know, <laughs> this is a Wally Pip Lou Gehrig type situation. <laughs> That's right. Of the hundred Tyrod Taylor, of the hundred some odd shows that we've done, Russ is Russ is kicked off. I want to say probably uh, all but four. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's fair. You know, so we, we, just, we, we don't have a lot of practice with it. So here we, we won't are. Be kicking him off anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> we should probably just start. <laughs> yeah, but but here we are. We are um, about ten days away from the start of the weirdest baseball postseason of all time. Um, you have. I don't know, 26 teams mathematically still involved in the playoff conversation. Um, and Dietz, man, I mean, I guess just to start with weird times we live in with this COVID playoff method. Yeah, it's a it's a completely foreign uh, playoff situation for Major League Baseball. Usually you're talking about teams fighting for division championships and wild cards rather than second place in a division. and eight seeds for a large field NBA style NHL style tournament but it's kept everybody in and in a short season I think it probably was fair uh you know you keep the keep everybody engaged for a two month or a little over two month season and make sure that teams even if they start off slow have a have a fair shake so it's been an interesting been an interesting year and I think by design just like MLB wanted we've got the last week of the season shaping up to be a pretty good one. There's quite a few teams who have already clinched playoff spots, but the races for the second place in the divisions and the wild cards certainly is is uh, exciting if that's your cup of tea. Yeah, I definitely. I like that part of it. You know, I, I think, and it makes sense in a shortened season, your point. Way less conversation, I feel like, about the season awards, right? Which are probably a little more meaningless in, in a season like this anyway. Um, but I feel like a, a lot less conversation around things like that and a lot more conversation around the postseason. One of the things I noticed really quickly was was strange. Um, so the, the Strohs mathematically are the eighth best team, if you can call it that, with a losing record in the American League. Uh, but what they're, currently a game, have, they're a game over 500. Don't, don't sell your boys short. Yeah, um, <laughs> but would currently have the sixth seed. Right. So right. because they took the uh, NBA approach of division record or division, I guess, standing and then the two wildcard teams, which to me adds an unnecessary layer of complexity to it. Right. Like you finish second in your division, but somehow that means that you get a better ranking than somebody that could finish with a better record. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't like that piece. And strangely enough, what it's equating to is a bunch of same division matchups in round one. Are you going to right. end up with basically East against the East, Central against the Central, and West against the West? I don't know if that would have changed much, but it, it's a weird concept where historically that gets avoided. Yeah, I think uh, I think this year MLB is okay with those types of interdivisional three-game series in that first round. In fact, I think they're probably crossing their fingers that they get some of those, quite frankly, just because interest is... Certainly been tough to come by. I mean, TV ratings across the board are down. It's not just the MLB that's struggling a little bit. I think they did pretty well when they first came back. But now that they're competing against NBA playoffs and certainly NFL football and everything else that's going on, um, you know, having any extra kind of juice is probably pretty good for uh, for the television ratings. But I agree. I think the the two the two seed in the division is a stupid seeding. Um, I guess device. They should just have the division winners and then seed the remaining uh, teams based on record. You're going to have 
you're going to have teams in the, uh, like you mentioned, the NL West and the NL Central who are going to have worse records than somebody like the Phillies or I think uh, the Blue Jays or, uh, or it's the AL Central that's, that's got three teams fighting for it. So then you've got Minnesota and Cleveland who are going to have 30 plus wins. I think Minnesota's sitting at 33. I, I, I think Cleveland's fallen a few games back, but those teams are duking it out for, you know, sixth or eighth place, which I think is kind of pointless. Or I should say fourth or seventh or eighth place because yeah, they are the top. You can't even describe it, right? It's like, it's, it's right, hard right, to explain. Yeah. I, think, I think MLB took the tactic of rather than trying a few things, right, in this crazy season where basically you pretty much have carte blanche to just experiment with whatever you want. It's like they almost threw too many things at the wall just to see what would stick and maybe sure. overcomplicated a few things. I think by and large, they've done a, a good job of, you know, doing what they had to do to accommodate a lot of games in a short period of time and even trying to be ready for the possibility of small outbreaks, which, which obviously they got. But yeah, there's maybe this seating thing was just a little bit too much, right? You do want to keep the interest up, but yeah, it's like if you can't even describe to somebody, you know, yeah. what, exactly how this is all working, maybe you've gone just a little bit too far. Yeah, I'm 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 regretting uh, not pulling up the the standings <laughs> when I was trying to explain that because I think I was kind of all over the map. But you're spot on. I agree. Actually. I've been I've been checking you live. <laughs> oh, really? Look at that. Day. Hey, Minnesota hey, has know? 33 wins. Cleveland's a few back. You're good to go. Okay. But to your Are point, they at 30 right? or 29? Yeah, I don't know. 29. It doesn't matter. Okay. But, but to your point, as of recording this, Cleveland would be the seventh seed, right. right? In this current scenario, Houston would be the sixth, even though Cleveland has currently a two game lead over the Strohs, right? Which right. just, when you get to eight teams, that's the kind of stuff that makes zero sense to me. Like, to your point, you win your division, you should be rewarded for winning your division. Totally yep. get that. But at some point in time, Math is math, right? And you just got to let it be what it is. Um, so I think that part's interesting. Speaking of one season divisions, though, the other part that I don't, I don't like, um, and I think the NFL has done a good job here, um, there's, no, there's no buy, right? There's no time right. off. There's no anything, right? Like, so you win your division, and this year, you don't even get home field advantage, really, because these games are all going to be played at, at neutral sites, it, it would appear. And uh, somehow the Rangers still found a way to get into the World Series, even though they're not going to make it to the playoffs. So, <laughs> congrats to the ownership group for, for making stadium. that happen. New hey, stadium, it, fantastic! And I think there's an argument to be made that maybe that's how you do this going forward, right? Do you have a Super Bowl type situation where it rotates? That, that's an interesting play. Um, but that, well, that I think said, it would be- I, I don't like the lack of reward for the one seed. Right. Tampa well, Bay has put together an impressive season and the best they're going to get is they're going to have to go up against probably the Blue Jays. Right. In their own division to start right. the postseason, which, you know, kind of sucks. Yeah. And if the Blue Jays get hot, you might have to face Cleveland, which would be just as ridiculous, um, you know, or the White Sox could nip the Rays for first place. And yeah, I, I, I completely agree, which is why there's been some talk about this playoff format sticking around after 2020. And I just think that that's a horrible mistake on MLB's part for all of the excitement you get in the last two weeks of the season with extra playoff teams available and potentially some upsets, you know, maybe March madness style in the bracket. You're, really downgrading the 162 game regular season that I think makes baseball unique, which is essentially that it is kind of an exclusive playoff field. Um, winning your division really matters because you get home field advantage in longer series and you don't have to play a wild card game and you don't have to play anyone from within your division. So the current format for 2020, I think should, should be left as it is. I mean, I think this is a crazy year that, you know, is going to go down as a, an aberration, but they shouldn't take the bump that they're going to get in terms of fan interest and revenue and apply it because I think that's going to hurt them in the June, July days when they don't have to compete with the NFL and the NBA. And, you know, people aren't going to be just watching baseball if the games really don't matter. I mean, if you're a team that's out to a 10 game lead in July, I mean, you're, you're on cruise control at that point. No pun intended, Mike. 
Ah, heard it before. It's all right. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a good that's a good take. And I get wanting to expand the playoff format. And I mean they've been inching their way this direction for, for a while. But to go from four and a half teams essentially to eight is maybe, you know, a bridge too far. Too much. It's yeah, 100% it's, it's kind of like at, at some point or another, the return on investment of that sort of just broadening the playoff field. Like if, if you have everybody makes the playoffs, then right. Like Dietz said, what is the, you know, what are you really fighting for in the regular season? Right. It like, okay. So if you're good enough to win your division and you get the reward of home field, sure. But again, if you're just expanding it and you know, let's, let's say home field comes back, we get back, you know, to where they don't have to just try to, get all of the playoffs in and done you just yeah i don't think there's enough value to that overall for the teams that are you know if you're in the middle of the pack and again it's just like well you know we're probably going to make the playoffs so let's just kind of save our energy and you know kind of toy around a little bit here and experiment versus knowing that you have to you know you've got to be fighting all season long i mean yeah maybe maybe you help get rid of the idea of tanking although it's not it's not as much of a thing in baseball, but the broadening of the playoff field is just, I think, yeah, I agree with you guys. It's too much. So maybe it's not tanking, but do you feel like it had any impact on the trade deadline this year? Right. I know it it probably would have been an understated market anyway, just given that no one had enough time to really assess what was going on. Right. The other argument would be, you know, if you've got a viable chance to, to get an eight seed, why would you trade? Now, interestingly enough, Cleveland did it anyway. And are, still going to make the playoffs more than likely um but that regardless of what the gm says says is more about the locker room than it is anything else um you know but what what do you think about that you you feel like that has any impact on kind of the other moves that make baseball interesting right usually the hottest trade market in, in any sport or it's talked about from almost day one of the season more than any other major sport yeah i think that's a good point and i think another another thing that makes it even more challenging is that the regular trade deadline would be at the end of July rather than the end of August. So you're talking about two months worth of baseball to be played almost the entire second half. No one's going to feel out of it outside of maybe the handful of teams who are tanking, rebuilding, et cetera. So you're going to be really limiting the kinds of impact players that we've seen change hands at the trade deadlines over the, over the last couple of years. I mean, you look at some of the guys who have moved and contributed to, um, you know, playoff pushes, Manny Machado uh, a couple of years ago. I just don't think you're going to see those types of players changing hands. And yeah, I know that there was more traffic this year than possibly expected, but Clevenger, I think was a unique situation because of Scott, what you mentioned. And then you really start to go down the line. Who was the, who was the headliner that was moved besides a Mike Clevenger? I mean, you know, there, there really wasn't a lot of, of traffic when in years past, I mean, you've had guys like CC Sabathia, you know, you've, you've had some Zach Greinke a couple of times, Justin Verlander change hands mid season. These guys are, are potential impact makers for a stretch run. And I think to your point with eight playoff teams in a league, I just don't think you're going to see that because it's it's going to take a unique situation of a team being so far out of it, but still having a player who's performing at a high level. And that's just not going to happen, in my opinion, as frequently. And I think that takes a, a lot away from the season because the trade deadline is a big part of kind of what happens. It's really like that three quarter poll, you know, two thirds check if you're if you're in it or you're not. And I think it it gets fans pretty jazzed up when you go out and you trade for a big player, um, you know, in the weeks after the all or the leading up to, or after the all-star game. Okay. So I think we are three Oh on not being <laughs> in love with the playoff format. So not a lot of diversity of opinion there. Um, other rules, right? You get seven inning double headers, which was an audible really. I mean, that wasn't even part of the plan to start the year, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, Congrats to, to baseball and figuring out you got seven inning double hitters. You got the universal DH, right? You got the extra inning rule. Um, other things that have been kicked around. I mean, any of those you're particularly fond of that you'd like to see stick around post 2020. So I think the extra inning rule should probably stay. Um, I know that uh, certainly Clayton Kershaw didn't like it. Uh, 
had some choice words about it, but then his manager was all for it. And really, I think that that's, you know, there's a reason that it made sense in minor league baseball. And I think that there's a reason that it also makes sense in major league baseball, right? Minors are about evaluating talent. You don't need to be torching a bullpen and a 20, you know, a 20 inning game in June. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense. And I think for the same reason, you know, it's like, there's a lot of strategy still that comes into starting a, you know, starting extras with a runner on second. So I think overall I'm for it, you know, again, yeah, 20 inning game might be interesting, but I think something like that is far more interesting in the postseason where I would say that you wouldn't at that, once we get to the postseason, you would scratch that rule like they're, like they're doing this year too. Um, or I guess that rule wouldn't apply, but I think overall that rule should stay. Um, I, you know, I'm honestly even okay with seven inning double headers, like the same kind that's, of thing. That, it's like, that's the one I was going to highlight. I, I didn't yeah. think I'd be, I'd be as in favor it. I, I understand why they put it in this year. And I think it was, was effective at, you know, making sure teams weren't, uh, completely blowing out their bullpens, the Cardinals, I mean, playing double headers left and right here down the last month is a great example of that. But I think they should, I think they should make all double innings uh, or double headers, seven innings. And I think they should schedule them. You know, you could, you could schedule a team, a couple double headers a month on Saturdays or Sundays um, and play 14 innings of baseball, provide them more off days throughout the season uh, you know, or shorten the season up so that they could get to the playoffs a little bit earlier. I think MLB has been trying to find a way to condense the season without forcing teams to play 18, potentially 19, 20, 21 innings of baseball. But if you combine the extra innings rule with the seven inning double headers, I mean, I think you can be pretty sure that you're not going to get more than, you know, 14, 15, 16 innings of ball. Uh, the Brewers and Cardinals, I just mentioned them, they had a doubleheader where both games went into extra innings. They played 16 innings. So, you know, that runner on second makes a huge difference. And I think that if you're going to do something like that to try to get these guys more off days and try to get, you know, a little bit more flexibility with your schedule so you're not trying to force rain out makeups and all the stuff that goes on with the beginning of the season in April and the bad weather cities, which we didn't have to see this year. Um, Fortunately or unfortunately, I guess, when, when you talk about the reason why. But I do think that that would be a very good thing to, for MLB to start looking at doing um, in, and, and actually building them into the schedule, because I think it would give teams more flexibility. I mean, they used to be there, right? So, I mean, you right. used to have doubleheaders scheduled, um, you know, certainly, you know, even way back when before Wrigley had lights, you know, I mean, there was plenty of plenty of precedent here. I, I do think. You've got to figure out a way to do something like that if you want to expand the playoffs, right? Because we can't have right. December baseball. You know, right. that, that's that's not going to work for a lot of reasons. Uh, weather being the, the major one, but also by the time you get to December, you've got no shot of keeping up against college football and, and pro football. So yep. if you want to expand the playoffs, which I think MLB wants to do, they're going to have to figure out calendar saving day methods somewhere else in the, in the schedule. And the Players Association is never going to give up the max days they're playing already. So, you know, I haven't seen anything on this, but it would be interesting to get a player's take on, Hey, if you played more double headers, but had more days off, is that a trade-off that you would make? You know? Um, and I think if you ask pitchers as an example, right, less innings pitched logged, more games pitched, you know, theoretically, I mean, there's a lot of positives here where, yeah, there's records, there's stats, there's some other things that we would have to normalize a little bit. But at the end of the day, you could be potentially get more juice for the squeeze with a lot of this stuff. So just sign right. up for every one of those seven inning games to throw a bunch of complete games that year, you know? <laughs> sure. Well, or you, know, you, it's, or, it's, you it's or you funny. take it's the other route right. and you and you use the 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 uh, starter, not the starter. What what the what's the method? The right? opener. The, the opener. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Use, yeah. use a bunch of openers, and it's and it's easier for for that kind of method to work. So I mean, either way you want to look at. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's funny you bring that up, Cruz. Is though is just by happenstance. I think Trevor Bauer has thrown like five or six of his starts this year have been in seven inning double headers, and he's that's how he's gotten some of his complete games. And I'm not. I mean, Trevor Bauer's having an absolutely great year, but it's just it's one of those quirks of the COVID 2020 season that a guy's managed to get that many starts in either the front or the back end of double headers. <laughs> yeah, and that's where you you mentioned earlier too. I think about you know records and 
do the records really mean anything this season? And I would, I'm sorry, what I should say is awards uh, really probably don't carry quite as much weight this year, but I'm one of those people that doesn't have the, everything about 2020 is getting an asterisk, right? I mean, I don't, but I'm not the guy that's going to sit around and go, Oh, well, you know, whoever wins the championship this year, it's not really a legit championship. I disagree with that 100% because everybody is playing under the exact same circumstances with the exact same challenges. The fact that it's a shorter season, maybe it changes the way that you would compare 2020 to other championships, but it is a legitimate championship. And I hope that people don't spend a lot of air arguing about the legitimacy of 2020 championships, because again, everybody dealt with the same circumstances. That's how it goes. Right. So if the rules yeah. changed for one year, it wasn't just one team that had to deal with the rules. All the teams had to deal with the rule changes. So it's a legitimate championship, but yeah, individual player awards. That's a little bit tricky for 2020. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, a lot of people forget the 1981 strike shortened season had some wonky playoff rules too, where the, the first half team with the best record and the second half team with the best record made the, you know, made the ALCS or the NLCS. And, you know, that actually meant that the team with the best record that year overall didn't even compete in the playoffs. Right. So, I mean, baseball has been a sport where they've had to make changes. They canceled the world world series uh, one year because of, of labor issues. So, uh, you know, when you've had a sport going as long as they have, you know, now into its third century of being played really, you know, the 1800s, 1900s, and now two thousands, you're going to have seasons like this where not everything is going to be the exact 162 games completed by all 30 teams in a timely fashion. Well, as the baseball season is, is coming to a close, um, or actually, I guess, you know, getting close to a close, we are just at the tail end of week two of the NFL. Um, and one thing that I don't think any of us missed or even blinked and realized didn't happen was the preseason. So as we talk Ugh. about expanded postseasons, um, the NFL, I think the players got a major win here and walked away with absolutely zero preseason games. Yes, 100%. No fan of. Huge fan. Huge fan. It was very strange to have last week be the official start of the NFL season. In a lot of ways, I, I feel like it felt like the start of college football, except, you know, you didn't have cupcakes on the schedule. <laughs> It was like actual, actual um, competitive games. But I think this puts the nail in the coffin for the preseason argument. Maybe the league is able to push forward something where they do one or two games, but I don't think we'll ever see four preseason football games again. It's too much and there's not enough fan interest in it. People only buy the tickets so that they can get season tickets to, you know, the, the games that count. And if the league is serious about trying to get more games on the schedule, I think they're going to have to do it by sacrificing the preseason, especially based on how well or how competitive the games have looked. I mean, there's been some sloppiness. There's been some penalties. Certainly, I don't think that you'd get a lot of defensive players saying that they are in love with the, the no preseason and all these offensive players being 100% healthy coming into each week. But you know, the football's been good and the offense has been there. So from an entertainment standpoint, I think the NFL has to feel like this is a no brainer. Yeah. I think that's the way it's going to have to come down to though. It, if they're going to cut out preseason games, they're going to have to add regular season games because there's just no way ownership is giving up revenue. I mean, that's the case with all, with all the sports, right? Like NBA has been talking about shortening it for years, but owners aren't going to do it because they're just not going to give up that revenue. And I think that's going to apply across all sports when you talk about shortening regular seasons or shortening any part, doing anything that removes a game from the schedule, right? Because as, as low attended as it may be, or people buying tickets for preseason games just because they're forced to because it's in their season ticket package or whatever, it's still butts and seats. It's still people buying stuff at the concession stands. It's still people buying merch. It's still people in the building. It's parking. It's everything else. And there's just no way that it's it's they're giving up games. I just I don't I don't see it's going to take some kind of a miracle. But again, maybe that's good because I would be willing to have some extra regular season games if it meant that. Yeah, because you're right. I don't tune into the preseason at all. I just it's not interesting at all to me. So if they cut down to like two preseason games and added one or two regular season games, I I think I'm good with that. Yeah, and I mean if owners are really 
that key to have that extra day of revenue you can always do what the packers do which is have a family night where they essentially run a scrimmage and you know open it up to to people and you know the packers charge not as much as a regular game but you know greedy owners could certainly put in a <laughs> a mandatory family night purchase into their season ticket packages if they wanted to i think there'd be a majority of nfl teams would be able to get away with something like that i hate to say it but it's it's probably true so yeah from a revenue perspective i think that there's other ways to do it but you just can't i can't get past how how good the entertainment level of the first two weeks of the nfl has been and i think a lot of that is the fact that the the offensive guys just aren't nicked up at all they haven't had any tackling in practice you know none of them have any kinds of minor issues they're all running at full speed and i think when that happens you see these guys are very very hard to stop so if the league is trying to get towards a offensive open league the kansas city air raid style which i think has been gravitating towards that for years with all the rule changes for the offense i think this is a way to really get it yeah and i think i also overlooked a pretty substantial um chunk of this pie which is the tv broadcast revenue as well uh there's a little bit of that involved too so um, you're, you're looking at a lot of forces that are not going to want to eliminate an event that has, you know, like I said, wh- whether or not preseason is really that good, it's still an event that gets TV coverage, that gets sponsorship dollars, that uh, gets all of those things. So yeah, it's going to have to be something there's, there's going right. to have to be a compromise and we know how well athletes and owners tend to compromise. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, like I said, I, I agree. I think the quality of the play has been great. Um, I don't really think that, you know, again, defense. Yeah, you're right there. But I think overall, the quality has been not nearly as sloppy as people would have expected. That Chiefs, the Texans game right off the bat, like was clean. It was fast. It was good. Yep. It was clean. Yep. I mean, that was maybe uh, maybe it spoiled us, but I thought that was pretty good. It's fast because the Texans couldn't score for one. Well, it was like right. a, like a one nothing. <laughs> It's like a one like nothing baseball game, you know. Gloss I over that I was part, like, but two hours and fifty minutes. <laughs> I don't think NBC liked that part of it. And and all I love that part of it. I, actually. I know, <laughs> as a fan, it was fantastic. But you want to talk about ad revenue? They the, they came up a whole half hour block short and had to <laughs> rear old episodes of Blacklist or something to make up the time fill. Um, look, as a as a fan, um, I don't miss the preseason, right? O- outside of a cheaper ticket to pretend to watch football, you know, and, and get into the stadium, um, you know, and being in, in central Texas, I don't have that option anyway. Right. Not, yeah. not really. Um, so I, you know, I could do the same thing by going to see university of Texas play UTEP, right. It'd be the same <laughs> conversation for yeah. my point of view. Now, what I will say is that I do feel like, and I don't know if this goes hand in hand or not, but I feel like the soft college start, um, is normally my preseason, right? So normally you get those early college games and there's a, there's a, there's a big game or two that kind of gets me, gets my appetite wet for football. Um, and this year there was nothing, right? You had central Arkansas and, and whoever, right. For the first couple of weeks. Um, and, and I don't know if that meant I was surprised that there was an NFL game or that I was more interested that there was an NFL game. I haven't decided how that fits in yet. Um, but I, but I will say, like, it, it was nice that the first time you saw football, it was it mattered, right? It counted. It was on. There was no question marks. Um, but I, I, I don't know. Something in me feels like it was a little strange because we didn't have that pre-Labor Day run-up with college, right? It was, it was a piece of the missing schedule. Um, and again, unless you're a regional Louisiana fan, um, then they wreck shop against the Big 12, right? Fantastic job <laughs> for Raging Cajuns. Um, you know, back now, in the day, we used to love our regional college. Absolutely. College <laughs> our directional schools, State. they were the favorite. Absolutely. So I got to think, though, if anybody misses the preseason, it's got to be the Atlanta Falcons special teams because that was a disaster. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I, I think I saw that they were the first team in NFL history to lose with scoring 39 points and not turning the ball over. That's uh, epic. 44 teams prior to them managed to figure it out. <laughs> And they were the first. <laughs> and it's the been first a, time it's for everything. A, yeah, it's been a theme for the for the Falcons going back to uh, the Super Bowl a few years ago. It seems like they've had some issues closing out the big ones. So then maybe it wasn't a preseason issue. 
what, what's crazy <laughs> is that I watched that live and I immediately stood up and I was like, that ball's not going to make it 10 feet. And, and, you know, Zerline hit this like screwball looking grounder. And it was like a CNI single where the shortstop and the second baseman just st- stared at each other. It also reminds me of like, uh, you know, there's this like the bystander theory, right? Or like groupthink where there's something happening like on the street and everybody thinks that everybody else is going to go help, you know, be the, right. be the good Samaritan. All, right. all the Falcons players just stood there and looked at each other like, you got it? No, you got it. You got it. Yeah. Somebody else. Nobody got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, that was painful to watch. Painful to watch for sure. Yeah. And it's like onside kicks are so impossible anymore that the fact that they did it, they, yeah, it's, it's clearly it was a failure of the, of the Falcons to, to know what was, what was supposed to be happening there. Yeah. That was, yeah. The, it was the craziest thing. And I've seen it 20 times now and it's still bonkers to think that they could let that happen. Um, I don't, I don't get that. And I also honestly, I don't know how the Falcons head coach keeps his job. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know. This either. is going too many seasons in a row. I can tell you as a, uh, as a Packer fan, I'm, I'm glad Mike McCarthy was on the good end of an onside kick for, for once in his life, because after that Seattle one a few years back where the Packers lost that game in Seattle, he was, he was probably due for uh for a reversal yeah. of fortune. And I'll tell you, it certainly helped also shape a little bit more of that, uh, pay Dak narrative, right? Because people are not, not necessarily looking at that onside kick, but like, and mind you, that was a heck of a comeback anyway, but that, the fact that they won really by virtue of the Falcons screwing up, it didn't hurt the narrative at all. No, I mean, and look, Dak credit, right? Everybody knows he's going to throw the ball the entire rest of the game, you know, and basically goes clean. I mean, had a, had a phenomenal uh, second half and, you know, very Frank Reich-esque for Mr. Prescott. Um, <laughs> but it was, it, it truly was a phenomenal second half. I think if he wants to be in the $40 million club, he's got to figure out how to put four quarters together. Um, but it, it was a, it was a fun second half. I don't know if I'm ready to say that that's what the Cowboys offense looks like yet. Cause in week one, it was the complete opposite of that. And I was sitting here chuckling thinking like, uh, yeah, don't you remember McCarthy got ran out of Green Bay for being uninventive, and now you're surprised that he's running vanilla out there for week one? Um, <laughs> and then, you know, they kind of get the comeback in week two. So I guess jury's still out, but it was, uh, it, it was needed. I don't know that it answers anything, for, anything really for the Cowboys outside of, yeah. you know, saving a loss. I think it answers, I think it says a lot for Atlanta. Well, yeah, I, think it's a big, I think it's a big deal for Dallas, but I mean, let's be real. Their division looks terrible. So I think they can walk into the, playoffs as nfc east champs with seven wins this year i mean they just the rest you know, of the division looks so bad that you say you say that and yet this whole start like i've i've i'm a lifelong cowboys fan and it's been a very passive a very passive fandom lately because this just feels so dallas cowboys right now like oh guess what we're 500 again like it doesn't even matter what the circumstances are there's just there's always good and then there's just, ah, they just weren't quite good enough. And it's, and it's been that way for so long. Like I got, I got to be convinced something's, they got to string together something here to tell me that <laughs> this is actually going to be a different season than any of the past. God, I don't know how many seasons that it's just been the sort of the same, the same thing over and over again, just with a different cast of characters. Well, yeah. uh, then I don't think Mike McCarthy's your, I can tell you for the last decade, I've been, feeling the exact same way about Mike McCarthy offenses. So uh, just trade, we'll just trade we'll one, one, one trade, one kind of problem with Jason Garrett for another <laughs> and Mike McCarthy. It's great. What are we going to complain about this time? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So any, I mean, any unintended consequences from no preseason? I mean, you mentioned no, no offensive guys dinged up, but now here we are. Yeah. week Two and you got Saquon down. A, you got McCaffrey down. Week. Yeah, like a, even this, even this defenders too. You lost to Bosa for San Francisco. It's like this is. I, I've always been of the of the theory that because people people throw this out all the time, right? Like, oh, if you don't have preseason, this is right. People aren't going to be ready. You're going to have people getting hurt. I I don't I don't really think that that's what this is about. Um, 
I don't have any good justification for it. This is not a scientific opinion by any stretch of the imagination, but I think people are just going to get hurt sometimes, right? You can't, you can't walk around and, and treat these guys with kid gloves and have them try to be super careful out there. It's football. This is a, you know, no matter how much they try to reduce the amount of contact, this is a, an extremely physical sport and people are going to get hurt because you're put into all kinds of vulnerable situations out there on the field. So injuries are part of it. Yes, they, they're, they stink. It's not great when a bunch of high-profile players get hurt, but I, think, I don't think it really has much at all to do with the fact that there weren't preseason games. Yeah, I, I'm, on, I'm in the same boat. I'd much, as much as I hate to have a key player for my team go down or my fantasy team or whatever, I'd much rather they go down in week two of the regular season than week two of the preseason. I mean, how many starting caliber players do we see in preseason games, they're only playing 10 plays and they still get banged up and they still get hurt. So guys are going to get hurt. It, it's, it's a nature. It's the nature of the beast in the NFL. I think they made a good move this year with trying to make IR a little bit easier to come back from. I think they reduced the amount of weeks that you have to stay on there and they kind of made it easier to shuffle players back and forth. So hopefully that prevents the massive guys, you know, going on season ending injury. I've never understood why the NFL is so gung ho about if the guy is hurt, he has to go on IR and miss the whole season versus, you know, just missing the games that, that he's going to be out for, but he still has to stay on the 53 man roster. So I think they're moving in the right direction with those types of things. It sucks. I have Saquon Barkley in, uh, in my fantasy league. So I pretty much have already played taps uh, on this season, but you know, it, it, it is kind of what it is. I think that you're always going to have those big injuries week in, week out. And this season's not going to be any different for that. And I don't think it's because of the preseason. Yeah. I, I, I will say I saw an interesting trend. I don't know if it matters if it's the preseason or not. Dietzman, to your point, maybe it, it, you know, helps a little bit that the, that the injury happens in a regular season game. But it, it does seem like, um, and, and I'll quote a source here. So I'm looking looking at an at an article from a, a site called Simply Faster, um, and and the author is looking at NFL ACL tears by time period, and since the new CBA, right, with less hitting, less practicing, less everything, um, the amount of ACL tears in the preseason as a percentage has increased over time. Mm-hmm. So for whatever reason. If you're gonna get if if you're gonna have that injury, it's gonna happen early, right? So maybe to your point, if it's gonna happen anyway, right? The number of injuries hasn't increased, right? It's the it's it's when they have happened that they have increased, right? So what's weird is that that hasn't decreased the number of ACL tears, right? So roughly the same amount of ACL tears for the last decade, um, but more have been happening in the preseason with less offseason conditioning. So to your point, I guess if it's a foregone conclusion that it's gonna happen. I'd rather get two games out of you than zero games out of you. Right. Yeah. That's a right. far more scientific uh, <laughs> opinion there than, than what I offered. So I appreciate that. I mean, it does sort of take away from our, uh, you know, hot takes shtick, but I'll, I'll take some, I'll take some factual accuracy every now and again. That was good, Scott. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting, uh, I'll, I'll throw the guy's <laughs> name out there. I'm trusting a guy named Derek Hansen from a, from a website called Simply Faster, but it's it just an ACL legit. trend. It sounds legit. Hey, just yeah. it. ACL yeah. trend over time. So we'll, we'll, we'll give the guy his due. That's hashtag science right there. You can't fight <laughs> it. Hashtag right, science. <laughs> yep. All right. Speaking of hot takes. All right. I got, I got oh, a few yes. minutes. Yeah. I got a few yes. minutes for you guys. I got a few minutes for Here you guys. So. I've watched probably more NBA playoffs this year than I ever have in my entire life, maybe combined, at least since since 1995, which is the last time the Rockets were worth watching um, because current Rocket basketball is disgusting. Ooh, that's the hot Um, take in and of itself. Go ahead, keep going. It is, but it's gross. Um, Anyway, so for a couple of years now, there's been this undercurrent of quote-unquote superstars that are understated right the the gentleman superstar maybe if you will right and there's a, there's a few out there um paul george has always been one of them um Kawhi leonard is the epitome of, of this answer um and i had a realization i guess as i was watching the clippers go over a billion in the second half of their complete collapse 
against the Denver Nuggets. And, and let me start with another take. That was a pure choke job. Um, Denver is a, a great team. It doesn't take anything away from Denver. Um, but the Clippers flat choked. And one of the reasons why I think the Clippers flat choked is that the only person on the team that has the killer instinct to actually put anybody away is Patrick Beverly. And he's also probably my least favorite person to watch because in one of the games, when they were losing by like 30, dude was still committing flagrant fouls under the basket against Jamal Murray. Now, as much as I don't like to see that, Kawhi Leonard shot more threes in game seven than he had like all series long, drove, I think, zero times in the last five minutes of the game. And at some point in time, basically him and Paul George looked at each other and they were just kind of like, you done? Yeah, I'm good. Right. Let's go to Cabo. And, and they were they were out. And I saw the same thing happen when the Celtics were trying to close out the heat in game one. Jason Tatum, who I would categorize very similarly to both of these guys. Right. Happy to sit on the sidelines, but wants to shoot the ball when it's his turn. Right. Didn't get within five feet of the three point line. And guess what? They lost in overtime. Dude had 15 seconds and didn't even go to the rack. Now, that's the same game where in overtime he went to the rack and Bam Adebayo said, I don't think so. So maybe he knew something I didn't know, but it would at least probably behoove you to take a step towards the basket. Either way, long story short, I don't think you can be a superstar and be understated, right? I think there's a few things that are required of being an alpha dog. And one of them, I think, is being very stated for, back of, for lack of a better term. Um, and, and the more I look at last year, the more I watch him play, the more I think Kawhi Leonard is an extremely talented player, but the more I think Toronto got lucky is all get out last year with everybody on Golden State getting hurt. And the more I think he is at best a number two, I don't see that guy carrying a team. Wow. Yeah, I, wow. <laughs> Cruz, you want to unpack, no, I mean, please, I got, go ahead. I got to unpack this for a second. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I, and admittedly, I'm not the, I'm not the guy that watches the most NBA basketball on this show. So, you know, I'm, I might be waiting a little too far uh, over my uh, hip waiters, but it, I, I think it's, I think there's very few players um, who you're going to find even in a regular year that have that killer instinct for the full season and the, and the playoffs. And now you've got a playoffs that's buttoned up against a, a looming start of the 2021 season. Right. So there probably are a lot of guys that are, have, quote unquote, mailed it in um, for better or for worse. I, I, I think sometimes as fans, we forget about how we want we want the championships to matter to these guys as much as it does to us. And I think there's some of them that it certainly does. I mean, I'm not going to go out here and say, like, you know, winning doesn't matter to guys like LeBron James or, um, you know, people like that. But I think there's a lot of guys where you know, we're, we'll talk about Leonard, you know, he he won a ring last year and now he's, he got paid and, you know, maybe he doesn't feel like putting that much wear and tear on his body and, you know, driving hard and risking a tweaked ankle like Giannis had, um, you know, over for the box. So I, I, I think, I think you're probably onto something, Scott. I think it's, you know, this is probably the, the season that's going to root out those types of guys that aren't willing to go a hundred percent 24 seven on the, on the floor. Yeah, for sure, Spurs that... fan. I, I, I'd like a Tim Duncan take here, right? So you had one of the greatest fours, I guess, of all time, right? Mm-hmm. But he had killers around him. I feel like, right? He had people that that filled that role. But Duncan was never demonstrative. But he, you know, I felt like I felt like he would still put it on you. They got that reputation from the defense that everybody seems to so hate that people aren't playing these days. Um, but if you watch, like, it's, it's really easy, even as a Spurs fan, to forget early Tim Duncan, who he wasn't a trash talker, but he had a killer instinct. And even though he wasn't always super demonstrative about it, he had it. And I think that, I think Kawhi could, could be there. Like, I got, you know, obviously as a Spurs fan, my feelings are very mixed on Kawhi. I still have, you know, an NBA finals t-shirt of Kawhi in the closet. Don't know when I'm ever going to wear it again, but I have it uh, because I mean, without him, they don't, they don't win that championship in 2014. It's a finals MVP, right? I mean, 
He is a, I agree with you. He's a phenomenal player. I think or have thought anyway, that he had the kind of killer instinct, but yeah, it was a little strange, right? He's worked on that outside shot so much people. If they can't remember like early Kawhi, he had no shot. And to, so to where it is today, it's an incredible transformation. The guy puts in the work and there's zero, you cannot question that. But did he get a little too comfortable, right? He, like you said, he wasn't maybe taking it to the cup enough when the outside shots weren't falling, right? If the outside shot's falling, it's fine. You can keep doing that, right? Because you look at a guy, for instance, like I think everybody would agree that Damian Lillard is a dude that's got a killer instinct, right? I want and him taking outside, the last shot of every game. Exactly. But he doesn't always drive to the drive to the hoop at the end of the game, right? Sometimes he's jacking 40 foot three pointers and he's making them, but that's, that's why it's okay. Cause he's making them. But I think he's also going to realize if it's, if the shot's not falling, that dude's going to the cup. Like there's no doubt about it. Right. And I think that maybe that's, maybe that's what happened is that they just got a little bit too comfortable. Like, Oh, this outside shot's going to fall. This outside shot's going to fall. I like I said, I, think, I, I really think Kawhi's got the killer instinct. I just I think he made some some bad decisions really. I, I think the, the crux of my argument comes down to when your team is facing a loss, right? Or facing something slipping away, you have to have the confidence to look around and know, know that somebody is gonna will you to win this game, right? Miami has said that about Jimmy Buckets the entire bubble season. Right, is that they know when they're up against it, Butler's coming to play. And he has proven it time and time again. I don't think LA knew who to give the ball to. Yeah. Candidly. Right. I think they looked around and they're like, it could be anybody, but that's not the right answer with two minutes left and and the game slipping away. Denver knows that answer. It's Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray. Yep. Right. And if it happens to be Jokic, cool. Right. But the the real answer is it's Murray. You go down in, in the last, you know, 20 seasons and you've had LeBron right for a lot of championships you've had the Warriors who I would argue Steph and Clay and uh and Durant are all that guy right which makes them so impossible as they all want to stick it in your eye right the Celtics had that guy the heat with LeBron and D Wade had you know those guys right Kobe before that uh Jordan before that right the Spurs are the aberration is, is my point and maybe they've yeah, got it and true. it's popovich right like yeah. maybe maybe that's the, their guy um but at the end of the day what, what i think what was so frustrating is that you have all this talent but no leadership at least that's what it looked like on, on the floor and at the yeah. end of the day somebody's got to step up and be like this is mine and they have to look around the other four guys on the floor and and they're all nodding saying yep we're getting on board yeah um, and that's, i didn't that's i didn't see that's it. a good point because i think like t- to your to your point about the Nuggets, like if Jamal Murray is the guy taking the last shot, their last few shots, and he doesn't do enough, the Nuggets can live with that because that's yep. their guy. That's that's the guy who's you know whose hands they want the ball in at the end of the game. And I I hadn't really thought of it the way that you put it, but yeah, it's it's sometimes it's maybe it's the um, whole uh, buddy superstars, you know, let's all get together and form a super team thing that's happening these days it it worked in miami and you know maybe maybe it's going to work with in la with you know with lebron and and anthony davis but it's almost like they were too like you said it's like they were too i don't even know if it's passive is the right word but they were like well i mean you could you could be the guy paul george well but but you could also be the guy Kawhi. and yeah nobody really just said you know what i'm i'm taking the ball and get out of my way like I'm, I'm going to be the guy that's going to either bring us back or, you know what, we're just this, I'm the guy that's going down swinging for this team. And yeah, it, it does kind of feel like nobody really took the reins. And I wonder if to your point, it's maybe I, I disagreed with passive superstar, but maybe that's exactly the right word because um, neither one of them really took charge when either one of them could. And uh, that's a, it's a really, really interesting and, and good way to put it. Well, we're missing our superstar. Russ was out <laughs> for tonight. Uh, but hopefully we all did a good enough job picking up the slack. Uh, 
Deets, man, you again. I, I can't. I can't. I can't uh, state enough how good you did on that intro, Scott. I think Russell's. You know, we're gonna have to have you do it some more. I think I'll pass. But uh, <laughs> Deets, Scott, man, you've been, Scott you've been, realizes that Russ is the guy whose whose hands he wants the ball in at the start of the show. That's like, right. From that's the right. get go, that's he's right. our opener. That's so, right. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so, Deesman, you've been uh, the most active on the website lately. You got anything you're cooking over at 3playpodcast.com? Yeah, I think I'm going to keep going with the uh, Hall of Fame year nays, probably moving to the NFL. So if anybody's got some suggestions on that, you can always shoot us an email or something on our Facebook or Instagram page. Um, thinking about doing Frank Gore for my first uh, first in-depth one for NFL. Yeah. And, yeah, huh? I mean, he just... I think I think he just uh, became the the highest games played at the running back position of all time. So I mean, could be the question is: Is that going to be for like twenty years from now? Like I don't know when the dude's going to stop playing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And counting, and counting. It's the, it's the, the of running backs. Yeah. yeah, we talked about the injuries and uh, those ACL tears. He's been able to avoid those pretty pretty darn good. So I think that'll that that'll be the next one for sure. But always open to. You know some suggestions from anybody who's listening out there as well yeah and i, th- I think same goes for same goes for our show too like if, for the actual podcast if you guys have suggestions anybody out there you know we're always um always open for ideas i mean one knows we can certainly we love the sounds of our own voices that's for sure but you know if uh, people have some ideas for topics we're we're all ears or celebrity guest appearances that's you know? right let's not forget <laughs> well start working on that list Check us out on all the various places, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all uh, at 3Play Podcast or 3PlayPodcast.com. Michael Cruz for Deets Man. This has been Triple Play. Scotty Hatter. We'll see y'all later. <laughs>